Welcome to MattNews.biz, the podcast where I share my thoughts, opinions, and beliefs that have been lovingly dubbed Matt News. This episode is brought to you unofficially by Restream. Restream is the best way to live stream to YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and 30-plus streaming sites all at once. Expand your audience with multi-streaming today at Restream.io. Please feel free to interact with me and my guests during tonight's live stream. Whether you're watching from Facebook, YouTube, or even Twitch, you can comment in the chat section. And we will see it, and we will reserve a time at the end to respond. Now, tonight, for some reason, we're still talking about politics. Perhaps it's because of the incessant charge by social media to, to for me to register to vote, though I'm already a registered voter. But it may be it may it made me think. It made me think about this civic duty of ours and what makes it important. So tonight, joining me to talk about that tonight is Mike Mahiri, host and creator of God Archie Podcast. Welcome to MattNews.biz, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me on. I like yeah. that name, by the way, Matt, Matt Biz. Matt News biz. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. So uh, the reason it came about was um, it was uh, the first election period and I had just started my new job. And so during meetings and stuff, we would kind of do the banter back and forth about politics. And uh, my boss at the time was like, because uh, Trump was doing the whole fake news thing and so they started just like ah it's matt news that's matt news and <laughs> like so they and then and then he as a joke he bought the domain mattnews.biz and so and they, they tied it to my facebook so if you type mattnews.biz in your bar your your address bar it goes to my facebook page so <laughs> nice so i just bogarted it you know <laughs> <Why not? laughs> exactly so uh for my audience um i want them to know what is the godarchy uh, podcast because i've again i've talked to you about it i recently started really listening to a lot of your episodes and i find them very enriching so if you could share a little bit about what is godarchy well i'm a christian and i'm also a libertarian anarchist uh, i prefer the term voluntarist <laughs> Uh, because nobody knows what voluntarist means, so then I have to explain it. And when I say anarchist, they think that I might, you know, throw a rock through the window. <laughs> uh, basically, voluntarism is is the idea that all interaction should be voluntary um, and and without coercion or force. And uh, as such, I reject the basic ethical and uh, moral premise of the state. I'm not really anti-government because I mm-hmm. think government is necessary in terms of, of we're always going to have some form of government, some form of hierarchy. But when I talk about the state, I'm talking about this idea that uh, this certain group of people have absolute control over a given area of land and uh, they can extort you to uh, to pay for their fiefdom. So, right. Uh, and so, you know, I don't want to get real deep into to voluntarism or anything like that at this point. But that's the basic idea. And uh, Godarchy was a project that I started a number of years ago. I started it as a website, godarchy.org. Uh, and really almost as it, two things. One was just as kind of a sketch pad to um, flesh out my own ideas and, and try mm-hmm. to bring together in a coherent way my my Christian faith and my political worldview, which I think actually fit together very well. And then it was also, to be honest, uh, a little bit just a, a desire to have a place that was unapologetically anti-war uh, mm-hmm. and, and also Christian because I see so much warmongering among believers and it kind of makes me ill. Because when we follow the Prince of Peace, I don't think we should be um, jonesing to, you know, blow up people in the Middle East. So that was kind of the genesis of it. And then about two years ago, I decided might as well start a podcast and and it's it's along the same lines and i kind of do what you're doing i i talk about mm-hmm. uh spiritual things in and politics and the way the two intersect and uh, again you can check all of this out over at godarchy.org all the podcast episodes are there uh, the podcast is also available on uh, stitcher and google play and itunes and all that stuff but that's basic. That's the basic overview of it. Yeah. Um, so uh, I wasn't going to I wasn't going to get into this, but I think it would be interesting just to uh, go down this rabbit trail just for a second is how did you uh, how did you because I knew you you 
profess that you were a kind of a neocon. Mm-hmm. So you were kind of this new conservative movement that was happening. So what brought you to uh, libertarianism, specifically voluntarism? Yeah, so I was a uh, I was your pretty typical Rush Limbaugh, Republican, religious right kind of person uh, through most of my adult life. And uh, like a lot of people, I kind of got caught up in the Tea Party movement in response to Obama. And uh, I've always had this impulse toward, quote unquote, limited government. Uh, and and uh, that kind of led me toward uh, the Tenth Amendment constitutional originalism. And uh, I got involved with the Tenth Amendment Center back in uh Gosh, uh, like 2010, I think 2009, somewhere in that ballpark. And that kind of was the path that started me. Uh, it, it took me about two months to realize that most of what the Republican Party says about constitutional fidelity and limited government is BS in terms of the way they actually govern. Um, and, and so I got really disillusioned with the left right political paradigm pretty quick. Mm. And, uh, through the Tenth Amendment Center, I was actually just exposed to uh, several different people. Tom Woods, for one, um, who kind of got me reading uh, more economics, more political philosophy, and it was just kind of a about a five year evolution where uh, I became more and more libertarian until finally I, I realized that just from a philosophical standpoint, the the state and its violence. It, it my problem with the state is 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 that it's based on coercion, force and violence. And as a Christian, mm-hmm. I reject offensive violence, force and coercion. And so, you know, really it's the only logical conclusion philosophically. Now we can talk and I'm sure we're going to talk tonight more about practical politics. And that's mm-hmm. a whole different ball of wax and I'm still involved in the 10th Amendment Center. Uh, I'm I'm a strong believer that uh, you know the best government would be no state at all. Mm-hmm. But living in the world that we live in, what can we do to bring about more freedom and more liberty and less violence, coercion and force? And, and I think the the primary political principle that I embrace pragmatically is decentralization. I think centralized power is the biggest threat to liberty. So, uh, you know, a huge, overreaching, powerful federal government is worse than fifty uh, state governments, which is worse than. Uh, you know, a, a multitude of state and local government. So I would prefer to devolve power down uh, as as local as possible, uh, you know, ideally all the way down to the individual. But I think the closer to government, the closer to the people that government is, the better off we are. And the more centralized and distant it is, uh, the more dangerous it is to our liberty. So, um, you know, a lot of voluntarists uh, and a lot of libertarian anarchists completely reject any political activism at all. And I don't. I think there is a place for us to be involved. Um, and, and so for me, it's it's through the 10th Amendment Center, through decentralization. And, um, you know, I talk about the Constitution uh, as much as anything, just to uh, help people to understand how far from the intended system that we yeah. drifted. Because what the founders and the framers of the Constitution visualized is nothing like what we have today. So, right. Yeah, that's right. that's the that's the short version of a really long story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I, I I feel like I'm still kind of growing. Like I've adopted the uh, agorist uh, title for myself. Um, most people don't know what that is, but it's uh, it, it is kind of better than saying you know oh, I'm an anarchist or something yeah. like that because then they you know like you said they yeah, think you're gonna witness. yeah yeah you're gonna throw a Molotov cocktail through there. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, so tonight I wanted to bring you on because you recently wrote a blog post or you had your uh, podcast um, episode called High Holy Sacrament of Voting. I tried not to copy your title uh, too much. <laughs> so um, the first question I want to ask, I guess, is how important is this election, Mike? It's not important at all. <laughs> so so what, how, how do you define important? You know, I mean, I guess right. that's the first question that you have to ask yourself. And, and mm-hmm. uh, th- there's so many ways that I could uh, tackle and approach this. But if looking at let's let's just take the presidential election specifically, mm-hmm. and then we can talk more broadly about elections and voting and, and electoral politics. Yeah. Um, I think voting in a presidential election is about the most useless thing that you could ever do if you actually want if you actually care about limited government, if you care about liberty, uh, if you care about freedom, changing out the president 
isn't going to make that big of a difference. And it's interesting if you really step back and look at the actual policies, mm-hmm. there is very little difference between a Donald Trump presidency and a Barack Obama presidency. Now, Trump's the first oh my gosh, I can't believe he just said that. What a libtard or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. name they want to call me. <laughs> but it's objectively true. And I'll give you one example that the Republicans are supposed to be great on the Second Amendment, right? Mm-hmm. Supposed to be good on guns. Donald Trump has increased enforcement of federal gun control each year of his three years of of the full years of the presidency so far. He's prosecuting more gun crimes than Obama did. Now, some people will say, well, that's good. He's fighting crime. But if you understand the Second Amendment, any federal interference with the right to keep and bear arms is unconstitutional. That includes all of the unconstitutional federal gun laws that have been passed in the past. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's not just we want to stop, you know, the assault weapons ban or or whatever it is. It's not just future gun control that is bad. All of the gun control is bad. And Trump has been objectively bad in that he proudly enforces federal gun control. Uh, and, and then not to mention the fact that he actually implemented gun control with this bump stock ban, which the excuse I always hear from Trump supporters, well, bump stocks aren't that important anyway. Well, mm-hmm. nevertheless, the federal government has no business regulating them. So I always say this, the federal government, I mentioned this a minute ago when I was talking about the Constitution, the federal mm-hmm. government has strayed so far away from the constitutional principles that were intended. Uh, and just to sum that up, we can go to James Madison, Federalist 45. He explained what the structure of the federal government was supposed to look like. He said the powers delegated to the federal government by the proposed constitution, it wasn't ratified yet, are few and defined. Those which remain with the states and the people are numerous and indefinite. Now, look at the system that we have today and tell me that the powers of the federal government are few and defined. Mm -hmm. It's the exact opposite. The powers of the federal government are numerous and indefinite. In fact, the federal government actually regulates what kind of light bulbs you can screw into your fixtures and how much water you can have in your toilet. That is not by any stretch of the imagination few and defined. So we have flipped the constitutional system on its head. It is broken. And any president that is in office is going to have all of this power that has been usurped over the past decades at his disposal, and he will use it. So the analogy that I often say to to kind of help people grasp this is that the federal government is basically like a car that is up on blocks. There's no engine. There's no tires. It's just a hulk of a car sitting on blocks. You can change out the drivers in that car however many times you want to. That car ain't going nowhere. And it's the exact same thing with the federal government. You can change out presidents. And yes, I get all oh, this guy might be worse than that guy. But here's my guarantee. And I will make this bet with anybody. No matter who wins the presidency in this election or any other election, four years later, so four years from the inauguration, no matter who's the president, the federal government will be bigger. It'll be more powerful. It will be violating more of your rights. And on top of that, uh, it will be deeper and deeper in debt. It doesn't matter. So why are you wasting your energy? If you are involved in politics, why are you wasting your energy obsessing over, for goodness sake, Donald Trump and Joe Biden? I I can't imagine anybody who watched that debate the other night (laughs) that's sitting here going, oh, these guys will be great. They're going to fix America. Good God, no. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, just from a pragmatic standpoint, Casting aside any philosophical discussion about voting, if you're Mm -hmm. going to focus on electoral politics, I think you're going to do far better to focus on state and local elections where you actually have some control over the system, where the states can actually push back against this overreaching federal power. At the local level, your vote might actually make a difference. Mm -hmm. I lived in Kentucky for, for 10 years. There is no way, and people have actually run the numbers on this. There is no way that Donald Trump's not going to win Kentucky. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. I could go vote for Joe Jorgensen. I could go vote for Joe. It doesn't matter. Kentucky is going to go to Donald Trump. You're, you're, you know, it's, it's statistically impossible that your vote matters. So, you know, like I said, I, I think you're, I think you're far better in the political system to focus on state and local politics where you have some say, where you can make some changes, where we can see some steps toward liberty. 
I don't think anybody's going to say we're freer now than we were four years ago. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my spiel on presidential politics. Now we can talk a little bit more about the whole concept of voting because I'm not real sold on that either, but right. Yeah. Well, that's actually where I was going to, uh, kind of, kind of lead us toward, um, I did want to talk because there was a point in your podcast that you made about, uh, if you, you know, if, if you could buy a vote for a hundred dollars and I guess this is still talking about the federal level. So if you could buy a vote for a hundred dollars, uh, how many votes would you buy? Um, and I guess, and so this would be the idea that, um, there's an overwhelming amount of people that are voting against you. So how useful is your vote really, as far as the federal level goes? I like the point uh, that you made there. How did you kind of, was that kind of this, did that spawn out of the same idea of the car analogy or did it come from somewhere else? Well, that actually came from Bob Murphy. He's an economist. And, and so his point was that we should think about things as an economist would. And, and so when you think about things as an economist, you think about value and, and he was explaining it, uh, value on the margin. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the, the amount you're willing to do to try to change thing and it, whatever that incremental amount on the margin is. And, and so it's a very much an economic thing. And, and the question was how much, if, if you, okay, say the, and I think this applies to any election. I mean, you okay. can really use this analysis. I think it becomes more poignant at the federal level, but you could, you could say this is state local level too. Everybody has one vote, but you have the opportunity to buy however many extra votes you want to, to cast, but it costs you a hundred bucks a piece. How many votes would you buy? I think the vast majority of people would say, I'm not buying any votes <laughs> because, I think, because I think intuitively you recognize, well, if I spend a hundred bucks on one boat, that's not going to do anything. And if I spend a thousand dollars and then I get 10 votes, well, I don't know, that's probably not going to do anything. You know, uh, it's very, very rare that you see an election that that is uh certainly at the federal level, but uh, even at the state local level that that's decided by, you know, less than a thousand votes. It happens. I mean, I've mm -hmm. seen some votes in Kentucky that were, you know, one or two or three, but, but just to think about that, to kind of to put the a monetary value on a vote, I think it kind of brings home the fact that, that maybe we're not as convinced that it's that valuable as we claim it is uh, when we're badgering our neighbors to go register. Right. Yeah. Cause I, um, I kind of this is going to be the first election where I've even considered not voting. Mm. Um, I'm still that's still up in the air. Um, I did I did ask for my mail in ballot, but um, I'm still like, should I or shouldn't I? And um, a point you brought up in your podcast uh, episode as well is defensive voting. Mm -hmm. And that actually it actually sort of convinced me that maybe I should at least at the very minimal uh, like you were saying, vote on some local and uh, state issues. Um, what would you say to that? Well, I mean, I, and this is where I'm not dogmatic. And, right. and you will talk to people that are, uh, you know, hardcore libertarians that that go toward uh, the idea of anarchism uh, or the idea of statelessness. And, and they will actually say voting is violence and that they, they will make an ethical, philosophical argument against voting there's actually two one of them is that it's it's literally violence mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of shaky but but not illegitimate uh the one that i think is more compelling is that by voting you're consenting to the system that, mm -hmm. that you're in effect saying i accept the outcome of this by by participating in it uh to me that's a somewhat compelling argument um and and I intuitively sense that. And I think I mentioned on, on my podcast, maybe I didn't. I thought about it if I didn't. Uh, <laughs> in, in Kentucky, they count what they call undervotes. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if I vote for president, but I don't vote for Congress, it will register that Congress vote as somebody who was at the polls but didn't vote in that office. So in effect, they count non-votes. So I actually, the last two elections drove to the polls, got a ballot, and submitted it blank because it counts all of those as undervotes. So it counts me as having voted, but it counts them. So, so in a sense, I was like saying, I'm not consenting to this. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't believe in any of these people. Yeah. So uh, I, um, the, the idea of undervotes is still kind of uh, fuzzy to me. Um, how does that actually affect the, the polls? Oh, it doesn't. Okay. It doesn't at all. It it made me feel better. It okay. made it made me feel like I was I was expressing the fact that I don't 
support or submit to any of these people. But practically speaking, no, it didn't do a darn thing. But then again, oh, okay. if I had voted for Joe Blow, it wouldn't have done a darn thing either, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> for all practical purposes. So, <laughs> and and you know, for me, if if you believe in the idea that that these people are supposed to be representing you, mm-hmm. um, there's nobody that represents my political worldview. So that's why I have a really hard time voting. And and I I, I won't say that I would never vote. You know, I, I'm I'm not like I said, I'm not anti-voting. And if somebody's if somebody's yelling at the uh, uh, at their uh, camera or at the screen right now and saying, "Oh, you're nuts! You've got to vote. Go vote." You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm, not <laughs> you not, I'm not saying you're going to go to hell or that you're a bad person. Or I just, to me, it just doesn't seem like a good use of my uh, my my very valuable time. Now, we you mentioned defensive voting, and that was actually the question. So let's right. talk about that for a minute because I think. That undermines the idea that you are consenting to the system by casting a vote. It is possible to say, you know what, I'm stuck in this system. Mm -hmm. So it is therefore valid for me to try to limit the damage that is done to me as much as possible. So if you truly believe that there is a person out there that that comes somewhere close to representing a view, or maybe, you know, maybe it's a single issue. Like you mm-hmm. might be able to convince, no, well, probably not for president because I don't think the votes matter that much, but I mean, theoretically I could support a, a, a really strong anti-war candidate, mm-hmm. you know, or, or something of that nature. I certainly, uh, I, I voted in a, a city council race in my city uh, a couple of elections back because they were supporting an initiative that they had promised to support an initiative that I was pushing in, in terms of uh, trying to limit surveillance. So, you know, in, in that sense, I think you're saying, you know what, I, I've got this system. This person is going to make it somewhat more tolerable for me to live under. It's it's a defensive thing. I I, I don't think it necessarily follows that just because you vote, you're actually commit consenting or legitimizing the system. And mm-hmm. um, I use an analogy that I actually stole from Tom Woods that if you are in a uh, in, in literally a condition of slavery, and you had the opportunity to vote uh, to somehow make your life better under that slavery system. Mm-hmm. Um, you would certainly want to do that, right? You know, and say maybe for some weird reason you got to vote whether you got more food rations or something. You know, I, I mean, I, obviously that's probably nuts, but but let's just pretend by voting for more food rations, I'm not saying I accept slavery, you know? Right. So, so I, I do think that you can make the moral ethical case for defensive voting. And so that's why I'm not dogmatic about it, because I think really what it comes down to is each of us needs to sit down and, and really think about, okay, what, what do I believe? What are my political aims? And will a candidate or a vote move us in that direction? And the answer could be yes or no, depending on on how your value system and how your political worldview um, uh, lines up. Now, I certainly see the value in voting for like in, in a lot of states here in Florida, we yeah. vote on constitutional amendments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's I think that's a relatively important thing because some of those things, you know, for instance, I would, I would definitely go to the polls to uh, vote to legalize marijuana because I think that would be a huge net win for Liberty because that would be less people locked in cages. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, on, on those types of things, then, then I become much less dogmatic about the, about the whole voting situation. Right. Yeah. I also, um, Whenever there's a whenever there's some kind of uh, amendment or something like that that's on the ballot to lower taxes or anything right. like that, I usually find like, hey, I would vote for that, right. um, but necessarily not necessarily the people that are on the ballot. Yeah, and I and I think to, you know to say, well, you know, uh, Matthew, uh, you know, you are legitimizing the system by voting to have your taxes lowered. That's, <laughs> that to me is just kind of dumb. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I get the philosophical arguments, but I love there's a quote by Murray Rothbard, um, who who people are familiar. He was an economist, a historian. Uh, some people call him Mr. Libertarian, uh, a very prominent libertarian thinker. And, and he said that, you know, libertarians, it, parroting ultimate principles is not enough to cope with the real world. Mm. Uh, so I'm all for coping with the real world. The question is, what strategies are, are best to use? And. Uh, again, for me, electoral politics just – and uh, I'll, I'll give you – here's another little uh, bunny trail that, that I'll go down. I do, a yeah. lot of, I do a lot of work in policy, 
mm-hmm. uh, surveillance, limiting asset forfeiture, uh, fi- you know, trying to stop gun control. Uh, so it's so a very policy specific types of things. And most of the work that I do is at the state level. I do some at the local level, but we do a lot of work with state legislatures. And over the years, I have found that some legislators are really good on certain issues and really bad on others. Uh, and, and in a way, I have come to view people in government positions as pawns. And so my goal is to figure out how can I use these pawns to best advance liberty? <clears throat> so it doesn't necessarily matter if they're a Democrat or Republican. I can I can use a Democrat uh, for certain issues, you know, say surveillance. Democrats a lot of times are pretty good on surveillance or, uh, you know, drug war or maybe asset forfeiture. Uh, people on the right typically are are better on economic issues. They're they're better on. Um, and this is, a you know, obviously not a blanket statement, but by and large, right. they're yeah. better on guns. Uh, so. It doesn't matter all that much. I'm going to shift my strategy in terms of my activism based on the makeup of the legislature. I'm not going to obsess over trying to get the right person in the legislature because odds are the right person is going to be wrong on some issues. Right. Um, so I, I've um, I've actually been reading some Tolstoy <laughs> lately, and uh, so it seems that Tolstoy is almost against even being uh, a part of government whatsoever, just because of the violence and everything like that. And it seems like you are taking a different approach with what you're saying here, using legislatures as pawns. I was actually about to ask you about that. Um, so. Uh, why did you take the approach that you're taking rather than taking the approach that some libertarians actually take where it's like, I'm going to separate myself completely from government? Because for me, I just don't see. And and again, it's people will debate me on this and, and they may be right. I might be wrong. But just from my point of view, <laughs> I don't think that we're going to make the government go away by withdrawing ourselves from it. Um. Now, I am much more sympathetic to the Christian argument for withdrawing from the government than I am from the libertarian argument. You know, the Christian argument would be that this is not our kingdom. Why are we involving ourselves and entangling ourselves in the uh, the, the mechanizations and policies of a kingdom that does not is not our own? That we should do our best to, uh, you know minimize its impact on our lives as much as possible, submit where we have to, and and, and just move on. I, I'm very sympathetic to that in the same way that I'm very sympathetic to pacifism, but I just can't quite get all the way there. Yeah. Um, and, and so for me, um, you know, again, it's just, it's just kind of, you know, it's like a lot of things. I, I, I've, the older I've gotten, the less dogmatic I've become. Uh, in in a lot of areas of my life, and and I guess as you get older, you start to see more gray, which is you know gets you. <laughs> um, but I, I just feel like that we all have to. I, I think the important thing is for us to wrestle with these things. I think far too pe- few far too few people don't even really consider it. They just kind of go on and they're carried by the currents. Um, I think it's important that we wrestle with these things. If somebody is legitimately wrestled with uh, with what their role should be and how they should approach their interactions with government. I'm probably going to respect their conscience and respect the, the, um, the decisions that they make. The people I get frustrated with are the ones that just haven't thought about it. Um, yeah. and, and, and don't recognize that there's, you know, I, I get really frustrated with the dogmatic people that, Oh, you should never ever be involved in government at all. Okay. And I get equally frustrated with the people of you must go register to vote. I had somebody in the libertarian Christian Institute, a group that was just blistering me because I was daring to try to convince people that they shouldn't, maybe shouldn't consider voting. I mean, it just, he was, he was as as rabid as any statist that I've ever seen on this. And and so that frustrates me, too, because it's like you're not even looking at the potential pitfalls of the strategy that you're taking. Right. So, you know, I know that's kind of a wishy washy answer, but I mean, that's that's really where I'm in. And, and, you know, a little bit of that's that's my personality. I, I feel like there's I feel like there's a lot of room uh, in the world of the liberty movement for us to push liberty forward and make the world a better place. And, yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of strategies that can work. So, 
you know, if you want to go and get involved in the Libertarian Party, then then by all means do that. If you want to do policy work like I'm doing, that's cool. If you want to do agorism where you don't get in the political system at all, but, you know, just try to find ways to work around the government. I'm cool with that, too. <laughs> I think we need all of these approaches and um, you know, maybe we can make the world a little bit more free along the way. Yeah. Um there was a couple of things you there was a couple of things you said I was thinking about but then I lost my train of thought that happens a lot to me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um I I what you were talking about how uh, it seems wishy-washy I've actually found that a lot of my my more wiser uh opinions seem to be wishy-washy. Um and and um and I feel convicted about it sometimes because of the, you know, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Right. Um, but truly to have that wide scope, does that make you double-minded or is that just a, a maturing of perspective? Yeah. Uh, you know? Well, I think, you know, I think there's, there's, to me, there's kind of a, a two streams that kind of flow together, maybe parallel, maybe together. There is our ultimate principles, and I think that we should be pretty firm on those ultimate principles. Mm-hmm. And then there is strategy. And I think there's a lot of room for differing points of view when it comes to strategy. Mm-hmm. If your strategy is moving toward those ultimate principles, then you're probably in a pretty good place. If your strategy is diverging from your ultimate principles or working in opposition to your ultimate principles, then you have a problem. Mm. And so I think you kind of have to look at those those types of things. And, and again, Murray Rothbard had a, a, a pretty poignant quote about that, you know, that that. The idea kind of being that, you know, if it is bringing us closer to liberty, then it's probably a good strategy. And if it's ultimately making for less liberty, then it's probably something we shouldn't do. So uh, and and again, there's room for debate in there. You know, you can say, well, what degree are you moving towards liberty? (laughs) But we're always going to have those debates. And that's where that's where I think instead of spending a bunch of time trying to run down other people's ideas or other people's strategies, uh, I think we'd be much more uh, it'd be much more productive to simply spend that energy pursuing the avenues that we feel led and and effective in. Um, Again, I get really frustrated with people who want to to spend time, uh, as I put it, crapping on other people's, (laughs) other people's work. Right. Point of that, you know, I mean, I'm not going to go run down the libertarian party. I'm not really involved in the libertarian party, but I know a lot of fine people who are, I respect what they're doing. Uh, just because I don't want to be involved in that doesn't mean that I need to sit back and snipe and go, oh, yeah, I'm stupid for doing your libertarian party thing. You know, it's just, right. It, it's not productive. So what's productive? That's that's really where I am in my life. I, I you know, I have limited time and lim- limited energy and my energy gets more and more limited the older <laughs> I get. So I want to use that on things that are positive and productive. Right. Um, so on that kind of vein, um, because I know a lot of uh, our libertarian friends are not fans of Joe Jorgensen. Um, and I know this kind of takes us back up to the federal level, talking about the federal level. Sure. Um, and and with your analogy of the broken car, it wouldn't matter if Joe Jorgensen did get in there or not. Right. She would, wouldn't have a change. But do you see positives if which I don't think it's very possible at all right now. Um, but do you think there's any positives if Joe Jorgensen were to get enough votes for something major to happen? I, I, you know, that's at, like asking me if I think the New York Jets are going to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it's it's purely theoretical. It's not going to happen. I mean, right? We'll be, you know, she'll she'll poll five to ten percent like every other libertarian candidate does. Um, I think there have been some positives in her campaign. I think there's been some negatives, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mixed bag. One of the things that she did, she did a fantastic video it was about five minute video on bringing the troops home that i thought was absolutely i mean that she she could she bought a lot of capital with me for that because again that's like that's at the federal level that's like the biggie for me i i want the wars to end i'm tired of seeing americans killed and i'm tired of americans killing other people mm. and uh so that video really i think 
if if nothing else, people seeing that video is a positive out of her campaign. I'll tell you this. I have a Joe Jorgensen sign in my front yard, even though I have absolutely no intention. Of <laughs> and I put the sign in my front yard simply because I live in the midst of Trump land. Mm. Um, and, and I have, you know, we have we have neighbors that have literally like not signs, but flags on flagpoles, you know, for, for Donald Trump. So I just felt like I had to add some karmic karma balance to the to the neighborhood and, and i would like people you know hopefully somebody might say oh who is this joe jorgensen maybe they'll google her and and maybe find out a little bit about libertarian principles because i think all in all she's been pretty good now she's you know we can quibble over some some tweets and some things that she said and some missteps that, that we could debate but i think overall she does a pretty good job of uh, of uh, articulating a libertarian position in I think it would be good for people to know about that. And I really think right. as far as the national politics go, um, you know, if, if I was a member of the LP, I would really be pushing for these national elections to be more about messaging and less about trying to win. Right. Um, you know, and, that, and there again, you have this strategy debate in the LP. Uh, you know, do we want to try to get votes? And um, again, I think there's, you know, good good faith arguments on both sides of that. But for, for me personally, I think like I, like we talked about earlier, I don't have mm-hmm. any hope of fixing the uh, problem or, you know, you're not going to impose Liberty from the top down from the federal government. I mean, right. That's, uh, it's really counterintuitive to talk about imposing Liberty when well, you, you can't do that because it's mm-hmm. not Liberty. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I completely agree with you because I think, um, cause even for me, um, the, the thing that turned me around because I was, I was, you know, Republican all the way, vote red, you know, and, and um, it was Ron Paul actually mm-hmm. in 2012. Right. Um, when he ran in 2012, his um, response to the question, you know, uh, they asked him, you know, I, I, do you want to legalize all drugs? And he said, yeah, cause I don't need somebody to tell me not to do drugs. Right. You know, the, there's no law in the books that's telling me not to do drugs because if I really wanted to go out and do drugs, you know, you could, um, <laughs> And that made me that made me really think. And I was like, huh, that makes sense. Like, I don't need some big brother telling me what's right and what's wrong. Like, I don't need that uh, because I know what's right and what's wrong for myself. And I shouldn't be the one to impose my will upon other people. Mm -hmm. And so that really started me on the on the path there. And I think that um, before he went nuts, um, who who was the last libertarian uh, guy? Uh, Gary Johnson. Yeah. Before he went kind of nuts and bonkers. you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought he was actually a pretty good candidate and his messaging I thought was really um what kind of you know helped me out a little bit there, but then he went nuts and everything like that. But yeah, um yeah. Um so there's one thing that you also said, uh there's actually two things I want to talk about your podcast. One was um you brought up the quote uh that people like to throw at you, which is uh don't vote or, or if you don't vote, you can't complain. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um talk a little bit about that. That's got to be one of the dumbest statements any human being has ever made. Now, if you don't vote, you don't have a right to complain. Well, first off, my right to complain is my own. It's not mm-hmm. contingent on what you think. <laughs> no matter what that is. I, I don't know. That just that's one of those things that just gets all over me. It got that that used to bother me even before I was really a libertarian. It's just kind of yeah. struck me as dumb. Like, who are you to say that somebody's opinion is invalid? You know? Right. Um, my, opinion, like- my opinion is just as valid. But right. good. Going a step farther about that, I mean, I I like to flip that around, and and again, this is kind of using the idea of of you're consenting. Well, if you do vote, you don't have any right to complain because you're the you know you got involved in this party in the first place, so you basically said I'll accept Joe Biden or Donald Trump, <laughs> right? Yeah. And 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 uh, you know, I think if you look at the uh, at the uh, dumpster fire that Donald Trump has been in in a lot of ways. Um, even, even not, you know, not talking about the Twitters and all of the, all of the, the stuff that the Trump derangement syndrome people, but the objectively bad things that he's done, like I mentioned, gun control, uh, he's ramped up asset forfeiture, he's nationalized industries, he's run up uh, $7 trillion in debt in three years you know you look at those things and if you voted for donald trump then you don't have any right to complain about the economic fallout that we're going to have you know trying to deal with the seven trillion printed dollars so Mm -hmm. you know you you can can kind of flip that around but it is it is just a a kind of a it's kind of a bullying technique in a way and it's it's almost like a a a 
mini version of, you know, every time you turn on Facebook, it's, uh, have you registered the vote yet? <laughs> or yesterday I'm watching it, watching a football game and, you know, it's got these NFL players and it's like, you've got to vote and only 60% of the people voted and that's not going to get the job done. It's like, yeah. Why do you want people that are ignorant and don't know what's going on to go vote? I mean, if you really do think that this system is so important, if you really believe that the you know the sanctity of democracy, why do you want you, why do you want a bunch of ignoramuses going to the polls? I don't get it. Why? Well, I, I mean, I do get it because what yeah. it is is they think that they, these people are going to go vote for the candidate they want them to vote for. Right. And yeah. I told my wife the other day that you know if, if Facebook asks me one more time if I have registered to vote, I'm going to go vote for Donald Trump just to spite him. <laughs> you know, I, obviously zuckerberg and those people of that world that's that's who, oh yeah you know they don't want trump to win so uh, yeah um th this brings up a good point uh, and this is kind of what the second thing i wanted to ask you about is uh you're talking about you know a bunch of ignoramuses going to the polls um you brought up in your podcast percentages of people who actually you know uh how many percentages of people who are actually informed uh the percentage of people who are just one you know one particular issue and then people who just vote because they like the way they sound or, or look uh do you i don't know if you know those percentages offhand or so or this was i i can i can give you the breakdown basically in in the categories so this is i actually learned this in my political science class when, when i was at the university of kentucky which was in about 1987 so you will understand why I don't remember the exact <laughs> a long darn time ago, but I was, I was two years old. Oh God. <laughs> but, anyway. but, but it did. I mean, obviously this, this stuck with me all of this time. Yeah. And, and so the, it was, it was based on some, some very in-depth studies that they had done. And we were talking about the psychology of voting. Why do people cast votes for certain candidates? And the, uh, the, 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 Top reason, when I say top, kind of in the hierarchy of what we would consider good reasons to vote for people, mm -hmm. um, folks who legitimately spend a lot of time studying the issues uh, and, and voting for an individual candidate based on their position on a, a slate of issues, it was a minuscule amount of people, like single digits, the next level were people who were single issue voters. So folks who I'm going to vote for the uh, the pro-life candidate or I'm going to vote for the environmental candidate, you know, whatever that single issue vote was, then there was another group and it was a little bit bigger, you know, maybe, you know, in the 10 percent somewhere. Mm -hmm. Then the next group, which was a pretty big chunk, you know, like maybe 30, 40 percent. Um, those were the people who vote straight party. So Democrats or Republicans, they're going to vote their party. They're not really they're not really aware of the issues. They're they're kind of vaguely aware. So I would have fit into that category probably in my 30s, yeah. you know, where uh, Republicans are limited government. So I vote Republican, you know, uh, Republicans mm -hmm. want to cut spending. So I vote Republican and not really realizing that the Republicans haven't cut spending in decades, you know, uh, but kind of those big themes. And, and that was a big chunk. But the by far the biggest group of voters, and it was over 50%, were people who voted literally based on the candidate who looked or sounded the best. Mm. So purely the aesthetics of a candidate. Right. Uh, so so like in this presidential election, who the heck is that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, that we if you can do that, then and then Joe Jorgensen should win the election because she's certainly the the most attractive. But um, <laughs> but yeah, that 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 was really staggering to me that there was that many people. And then of course, you know, that's that's the sixty percent that are voting. And then you have forty percent that don't even bother. And and right. um, you know, I, I would say that there's probably a small percentage of those people that are people like me who who don't vote on some principle, and then there are another big chunk of people who's like, this is dumb. I don't, I'm not going to bother. I, I much more respect the people who say, I, I don't know. I don't care. I, I, I much more respect them than the people who are looking at the TV going, oh, I'm going to vote for this guy because he looks good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I remember um, uh, reading in, you know, probably a civics class or something like that, um, where they said that's the whole reason why they started the, um, you know, the, the TV debates is because they yeah. wanted to be able to groom their candidates and all that, make them look better and present them better. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Clinton won is because everybody thought he was attractive yeah. and he could play the saxophone. Right. <laughs> yeah, he was sexy, man. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things you said actually reminded me of something Adam Graham said. Um, so I had Adam on my show. We were while the we were watching the debate together. Oh wow! And that was fun. Uh, <laughs> oh, sure. it, well, it was I nice to. It, I bet it wasn't as fun as my wife and I. Oh, probably. <laughs> my wife's my wife's kind of mean. So, <laughs> <laughs> my yeah, my wife uh, my wife actually had a, a big issue with uh, the way that Trump just kind of badgered, you know, Biden the whole time. You know, Michael Bolden, my, the executive director of the Tenth Amendment Center, made a really good point about that because she wasn't the only one that said that. I mean, that was a that was a big thing. If you like looked at Twitter comments and stuff about the debate, there were a lot of people that were very. Uh, put off by the fact that president Trump came off as a bully. Yeah. Michael Bolden made the point. Well, then he's ultimately qualified to be the president because presidents have been bullying states, localities, individuals, and other countries for decades. I mean, that's <laughs> what they did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but what, one of the things that he said is because one of the things that Trump said, Trump said at the very beginning, he said, well, we won. And so you have to pay the consequences of that. Mm. And so that was the biggest takeaway I took away from that debate is, Exactly what he said. It doesn't matter what side what side wins, whoever is the minority or whoever doesn't win has to pay the consequences of of, mm-hmm. of that. And uh, and he was saying, and Adam Graham made the made the comment on on my podcast um, that it's all about winners. And and a lot of people vote based on well, I want to vote for the guy who's going to win, right? Rather than whether he's votes. So I think that's a whole other percentage that you could probably add to that yeah. pie well, chart. Let's think about that for a second because that's mm-hmm. really pretty disturbing. Yeah. And that's really that is that goes to the core of my objection of politics. I really as as you know, I've been involved in politics, particularly, like I said, with the 10th Amendment Center and issue. And I've you know, I've written a book about the Constitution. Um, So so I've been embroiled in this for decades, but I really hate it at the core of my soul because it is toxic and it Mm -hmm. makes people hate each other. And the whole point of politics is to get. One group of people together so you can impose your will by force, literally at gunpoint when you boil it all down on this other group of people. So it's this it's it's basically war without the killing, Mm. Um, you know, some people would say, well, that's good. There's no killing, but there still is lethal force at the end of this at the end of this gun when you get down to it. You know, take your money to do this. I'm going to force you to wear a mask or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, don't. Send me emails about masks. About but, you know, anything that, that is based on violence, force and coercion, it's toxic. And, and you know, you look at at at, at the whole issue of race. Mm. Um, my, my wife is black, so I am intimately uh, familiar with racial issues um, because I've had to live them and experience them. But by and large. We've not really experienced much overt racism out in the real world. Most people are perfectly nice. Now, they may be looking at us thinking, why the heck did he marry her? You know, what? that's, <laughs> that's a sin. But they t- people tend to treat each other pretty decently out in the real world. But boy, you start injecting politics in it. And then it gets it turns into a whole different ugly thing. And I am convinced that racial politics is is harming race relations in the United States far more than it will ever help. You can't fix racism with a political program or with a candidate or a slogan or a rally. It's a matter of the heart. And and the only way you solve that is by living among people and treating your neighbor as yourself. And if we could just get that right, we wouldn't need all of this politics. And, and, uh, that's a little bit of a bunny trail there, but uh, you know that. But but what you're saying, that's really what politics is. I want to vote for this guy so that we can stick it to the rest of these. And, and believe me, there's a lot of people on on both sides of the political spectrum right now. There's a lot of people on the left that are hoping and praying that Biden will get elected so they can stick it down these horrible Trump people's throats. And there's a lot of Trump supporters that are thinking we want we want our guy to win because first off, we know we're going to get it stuffed down our throats if we don't. But second off, we can put these darn liberals in their place, you know, right. A horrible way to to organize society, a horrible way to interact with other people. Uh, It's it's toxic. Yeah. So end of um, soapbox. Yeah. No, I I actually appreciate it. Um because it feels it feels like I'm almost like in an in an echo or not an echo chamber, but it feels like I I like I have my opinions and it feels like when I go out in the world that they're not shared by other people. Oh, they're and not. It, you know, and it, it's <laughs> and it, and it, 
it just make it almost isolates me. It makes me feel very isolated from this world, which almost makes me want to not vote because I'm like, well, no, nobody is sharing my opinion. So why should I even yeah. participate in the system? Yeah, you know, I, I told the, the whole coronavirus thing has has really made me much more pessimistic about the whole idea of liberty mm-hmm. uh, because you realize that most people don't really want to be free. Most people right. want to impose their views on other people. If they have the opportunity now, you know, like I said, walking around in the mall, uh, you know, walking in our neighborhoods, we're perfectly friendly and nice to each other. But if we can get the power, by golly, we're going to make you do. I mean, you know, it's even even as much as I don't think he should be able to cut down the tree in his yard. We need to pass a law and make it illegal to cut down the tree without a permit, you know, that, right. that kind of stuff. But um, now, see, now I've lost my train of thought. I was, <laughs> I was, I was going somewhere with this. Um that that people want to impose their view. Oh yeah, pessimism. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I joke, you know, you've probably heard about the boogaloo people, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, just this idea that we're gonna arm up and we're gonna have this grand uh uprising and we're gonna take down the government. And you know, you've got the the three percenters and 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 all of those people. And um I, I kind of you know I get where they're coming from, but here's the reality of that. If you actually started shooting at government agents, this is how this would play out. The government mm. agents would mow you down and 90% of your neighbors would stand on their porch and cheer for the government agents. Oh, yeah. That's the world that we live in. Most people do not want liberty. They right. want to be able to impose whatever their view of the world is on other people. And I don't know how to fix that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you even see that what you what you were just talking about there. Um, you even see that when you talk about waco or ruby ridge or anything like that you know a lot of people side with the federal agents because you know well they shouldn't have been doing anything illegal it's like you know (laughs) yeah exactly i mean and you hear i mean you see that on a micro level with with people's interactions with the police all the time Mm -hmm. you know uh they they choked that one poor guy to death in new york can't remember his name but uh you know they choked him to death because he was selling loose cigarettes well he should have broke the law yeah all right you know i mean if that's i mean is that really is that really the kind of world you want to live in right well yeah yeah go ahead i I think if i could do anything and maybe this is this is where i think maybe there's some some hope that of of what i can do and this is what i try to do with god archie is to hold a mirror up and force people to own their violence Mm. because i think most people are naive to it because you you know you'll tell them I, i i say this all the time every single law all the way down to a seatbelt law is ultimately enforced with the threat of death. Hmm. People say, oh, a seatbelt law is not enforced with the threat of death. They'll just give you a fine. Okay, don't pay the fine. Right. Then what happens? Well, then they suspend your driver's license. Okay, drive anyway. Then what happens? Then you get pulled over, resist arrest. Then you get shot. So, you know, if if you don't comply to the at some point in that refusal to comply with this mandate, you will be shot. Mm-hmm. That I want people to own. And if people would just stop and think about it and think, am I justified in hitting somebody or shooting somebody because they don't do X, Y, or Z? Maybe the government shouldn't be able to do that either. Right. You know, should somebody be able to stop you from use force to stop you from stealing your stuff? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, that would be a legitimate role that you could delegate to somebody else. Would I be justified in going into your house and shooting you because you're smoking a plant? No. So why is it that we put these people in badges with guns and say that they can go do that? Or would I be justified in going into your house and saying, you know, uh, I've got a friend that has cancer and I'm going to take five hundred dollars from you and help with their cancer treatment because that's a good thing to do. And you say, well, you know, I don't really have that money. Too bad. I'm going to shoot you if you don't give it to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody would accept that as a as a moral way to interact with each other, but when we when we put the veneer of government on it and call it a tax, suddenly that's cool, right? And, and so I want to hold the mirror up in front of people and 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 to make them at least own their violence, at least make them confess that yes, I want to kill you if you don't do what I say. Because mm. <laughs> a lot of you know, most people don't want to do that, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, that's at the like you were saying, that's at, at the basic level. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I do want to op- like um, a lot of people haven't really asked any questions in the comment section, but so uh, I want to open that up. We have about five minutes left, uh, five or ten minutes, however long we go. 
Um, but we have that time. And if anybody wants to ask any kind of questions, I want to open that up to you. And But I wanted to bring up two points. Uh, one, um, this was brought to me the other day by a friend of mine. We were talking about, you know, me not voting. And he says, well, at least do it for the babies. What, how would you respond to, to that? I don't even understand what they're or like, because like uh, anti-abortion kind of kind of laws and things like that. Oh, my gosh. How long has the Republican Party been telling us that they're going to fix abortion? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm I'm 53 years old Um, ever since I was politically aware. So probably, say, 13, 14 years old. They've been telling me that they're going to end abortion, that this election we're going to get the. No. It's never going to happen. The Supreme Court is never going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And basically, I mean, I hate to say this, but these people are bilking you and using it as a campaign fundraising slogan. Because, you know, here's a dirty little secret. Congress actually has control over cases that are under the purview of the Supreme Court. The Congress could actually pass a law that withdraws jurisdiction over abortion issues from the Supreme Court. In fact, Ron Paul introduced this bill on numerous occasions when he was a congressman. Hmm. None of these Republicans and Republicans have controlled the uh, the Congress for how how many years, you know, over the over the span. They haven't done anything. They haven't done anything. It's all campaign slogan. I have absolutely no faith in politics, politicians fixing a problem like that. And again, I really feel like that ultimately, if you want to save babies, what you've got to do is you've got to convince women who are pregnant not to have an abortion. And that right. means supporting them. That means creating adoption avenues. That means, you know, providing uh, emotional, physical, spiritual, financial support. That's what you need to do. I, I think you, you if you really care about the abortion issue, go volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center. Give money to a crisis pregnancy center. Involve yourself at your, in your community level and, and literally actually saving babies and quit depending on some federal judge or some politician who's really a sociopath who doesn't care about you. Don't depend on them. Do what you can do. That Again, this is where politics is toxic because we're taught that if we just get the right vote, if we just get the right politician, then, then we can do all these grand things. Go do it yourself. I say the same thing about race issues. If you really, you know, people that are want to badger you, go, oh, you're a racist. What are you doing in the black community or in the Hispanic community and minority community to help those people and to mm. deal with those people's problems? Probably nothing. So quit badgering me about, about, about being a racist because obviously I'm the really bad racist <laughs> and go do something, right. you know, that that's, that's, you know, if I could leave people with one thought, especially as Christians, quit depending so much on politics to fix problems and go figure out how you can fix problems through your church and through your own actions. My only interest in politics is trying to make the government smaller and less intrusive and, and less involved in my life. Uh, the, the problem solving when it comes to feeding the poor, saving uh, babies, uh, you know, dealing with issues like racism, health care, all of these things. We can solve those problems as communities. We don't need politicians to do it for us because, you know, we've given them how many hundreds of years to, to fix the problems they are not fixed yet. It's it's uh, it's a little bit like Einstein. I'm, actually, Einstein probably didn't say this, but uh, it's credited to him. You know, the insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Voting right. Republican to fix abortion is is uh, Einstein's definition of insanity. Hmm. Hmm. Amen. I, I completely agree with you. Um, so, uh, so we're going to kind of wrap it up. Nobody asked any questions. That's fine. Um, we do have some, like some, some cool comments and stuff like that about, you know, people who, um, uh, kind of see what we're saying. I, my, like my wife actually talked about when you were talking about, uh, um, sending in a blank card, you know, just to kind of stick it to them. You know, she said it's a jab to the system and she likes it. So she's probably, uh, she might I end felt, up doing that. I felt better. Now, <laughs> you know, it depends, on, it depends on your state. A lot of states don't count under votes. But right. Well, we're in Florida. Oh, okay, cool. I don't know about Florida either. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I, I probably need to research that. I know I, I came from Kentucky that I've only, I haven't been in Florida for an actual November election yet. So this yeah. is my first, this is the first election that I won't vote in, in Florida. Okay. Was it you? Um, and this is a rap. This is a super duper rabbit trail it has nothing to do with what we were talked about, but was it you who, um, uh, went to your, I think it was a city council about a camera. 
and like you were locked in a uh you were locked in a lawsuit with that i got sued by this by the city of lexington kentucky um I'll give you the the Reader's Digest version. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Surveillance has been has been a, a a big strong policy issue for me for a long time, and um, I won't even go into how I ended up doing it. But I wanted to find out what surveillance technologies the Lexington Police Department was using. I did an open records request. Um, the the city told me that they had what they called mobile surveillance cameras. And then they wouldn't tell me anything else about them. Mm. Nothing about the policies, how they were used, what they were, you know, how they handled the data, nothing. It was like this big secret. I got hundreds of pages of redacted documents. And um, so I appealed to the uh, attorney general, which is the process in, in Kentucky with open records. And the attorney general found in my favor, it said that they told the police department that they needed to, uh, supply this information and these documents to me instead of doing that the uh, the city sued me um, wow. which which is an odd quirk of the kentucky system i mean they had to sue me in order to block having to release the documents which is dumb but that's the way it is and so that started a three-year uh three-year trek through the legal system they they sued me because they wanted me to go away i was fortunate that i had connections uh, and was able to secure counsel through the aclu who represented me and did a fantastic job through the whole process um i eventually ended up it it went uh, i won of course at the attorney general level i won in circuit court the first time I won in circuit court. The second time the court of appeals bumped it back to the circuit court to look at some other issues. I lost at the third time at the circuit court. And at that point we decided to give up because I'd moved to Florida. And uh, (laughs) the other, the other kind of funny thing about it is that the uh, police department in typical uh, government fashion messed up the way they redacted. They tried to redact some of the documents with magic marker and a little secret. If you have, photocopies of a redacted document that was done in magic marker you can hold it up to the light and read it so i actually <laughs> i actually knew what some of the cameras were anyway so i just made that information public and and uh we ended up moving on with our lives but um yeah it was it was a definitely a an interesting experience and i one of the things that i think is kind of funny and, and i use this sometimes when i'm when i'm talking to folks you'll hear the mantra we are the government you know, it's another mm. one of those cliches like you have to vote. We, we right. are the government. Sounds good. We are the government. It's America. It's democracy. We the people. Right. Well, if we are the government, why the heck did I sue myself? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I'm the government, but I can't see my documents. It doesn't make any sense at, at any level. No, the government is something uh, absolutely very distinct and uh, generally in opposition to the individual. So, right. but yeah, that was, uh, that was my experience with the judicial system in Lexington, Kentucky. Wow. That's, that's, that's crazy. Um, so uh, Mike, uh, we're going to go ahead and end wrap up here. Um, if you can, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, ask you, uh, one more question and then we'll kind of wrap up and then I, I'm going to ask you to stick around for like five minutes after sure. we get done. Um, but where can people uh, support you? Because I actually want people to to start listening to your podcast, um, but also uh, I know you have a Patreon as well. Yeah, let me give a couple of things. Um, yeah, go for it. Godarchy.org. That's where Godarchy is. And uh, you'll find the website there. I I had been doing a lot of writing up until about a year ago and, and life has gotten pretty crazy, but there's, I I still post about every two or three weeks, Uh, but there's some really good resources there as far as writing on various subjects. You can kind of go through the blog and and check out some of those things, everything from Romans 13 to uh, the the nature of government to the idea of self-ownership, a lot of posts about war. So all of that stuff is there. The podcast is there. Um, and you can find links to the podcast platform of your preference. So whether I'm on uh, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, uh, I'm supposed to be on YouTube, but I've been really, really bad as in I haven't posted anything on YouTube in like <laughs> two years. Um, but all of that, all of that you can find through the website. I do have a Patreon. Uh, it's at patreon.com slash godarchy my supporting listener program is basically five bucks a month um 
there's not a whole lot of benefits to it. Per right. se. I have a Facebook group uh, that, that, that has supporters in it. I think the cool thing about what I do with my Patreon is um, 40% of my Patreon support. I actually pass on to other organizations or individuals that, that may have needs. So I've given uh, through my Patreon, I've given to the Mises Institute. I've given to black guns matter uh, to the Methodist committee on relief, which does disaster relief. Um, a couple of individuals that were in need. So, you know, I kind of want to create this community that we do the idea of voluntarism, where we actually do try to help people. And, and like I was saying earlier, actually do things ourselves instead of depending on some politician to fix a problem. So uh, that's that's over there. Patreon.com slash God um, other thing that I would love for people to check out is the 10th Amendment Center. If you're interested in engaging in the political process, I don't think there's a better way to do it than through the 10th Amendment Center. Uh, our primary focus is on using state and local power to undermine federal overreach. Uh, so we we handle all kinds of issues. You can go over there, check it out. 10th Amendment Center.com. It's all spelled out. Um, and, and you'll find all kinds of articles about the Constitution the original intent, and, and then again, how we can actually push back against some of the garbage that the federal government's trying to shove down our throats. So um, visit there. And if you're interested in the Constitution, I have to, always have to pitch my book. Um, <laughs> Go for it. But I've, but I've written a book. You can might be able to see it behind me. All right. There it is. There it is. I got, yeah, I see it. Constitution Owner's Manual, the real Constitution the politicians don't want you to know about. Um, it is written from the perspective of a journalist. So it's not like this dense, legal, boring thing. Chapters are pretty short. But what I do is I go through various clauses and principles underlying the Constitution and explain them through the eyes of the ratifiers, um, because I believe that's where the real meaning of the Constitution. So if you want to know, what does the general welfare clause mean? What is the supremacy clause? Uh, you know, was what what's the difference between a national and a federal government? I cover all of that in the book. And, and if you're interested in such things, uh, constitutionownersmanual.com. If you go there, it'll direct you to uh, a page that tells more about the book and, and how you can get that. Cool. I'll also uh, I'll put all the links and stuff in my uh, show notes and everything so people can get to them really quick. Uh, well, Mike, I really appreciate you coming on mattnews.biz. Uh, again, stick around for five minutes and we'll try sure. to do like an after, you know, my after survey to see how well I did. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. All right, everybody. Um, I really appreciate Mike for coming on. I hope everyone enjoyed this conversation I had with Mike Meharry. Please go check out um, the Godarchy podcast at godarchy.com. And again, I'm going to leave all the um, uh, links and everything you need that what he just mentioned uh, in my um, information page, description, all that jazz. Um, so you can rewatch this stream on YouTube, on my YouTube page. Link is in my bio on Instagram and Facebook. Um, or you can listen to the podcast, which is going to be available on po uh, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and whatever uh, provider you listen to. I hope to see you next week as we explore more Matt News.